upon the examination of the galaxies of space, images begin to appear. Images of strange and powerful forces. But of all the forces of the universe, the four most powerful. Tim Jasma, Mora, Noel, and Sterling prepare to explode. Champion versus champion, title for title. It's the ultimate challenge. It's friends talking nerdy. Welcome, everyone, to what will go down as the greatest spectacular in podcasting history. This is the first ever Friends Talking Nerdy Greatest Movie Ever Championship Tournament. Tonight, you're going to hear our four competitors, Tim Jalsma, Mora, Noel, and Sterling, battle it out for bragging rights for the title of the Friends Talking Nerdy Greatest Movie Ever Champion. Tim, Mora, Noel, and Sterling got their 16 favorite movies together, and we bracketed them up so we can have a debate type of challenge. What we're going to hear in this episode, we're going to have Sterling with his choice of Jaws facing off against Mora with her choice of Blazing Saddles. We're going to have Tim with his choice of Terminator 2 Judgment Day facing off against Noel with his choice of Malcolm X. We have Sterling with his choice of To Kill a Mockingbird facing off against Mora with her choice of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. We have Tim with his choice of A Nightmare on Elm Street facing off against Noel with his choice of The Godfather. We have Sterling with his choice of Gladiator facing off against Mora with her choice of Trading Places. We got Tim with his choice of Die Hard facing off against Noel with his choice of The Godfather Part 2. We have Sterling with his choice of Pulp Fiction facing off against Mora with her choice of Better Off Dead. And finally, in Division 1, Round 1, we have Tim with his choice of Army of Darkness facing off against Noel with his choice of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. After a participant gives their defense for their movie choice, it will go to the judges to score this game. Among the judges you will hear will be our chief official, uh, Friends Talking Nerdy co-host, Ray. You have Nisha. You have Karen. You have Heather. You also have Michael as well. So sit back. Enjoy round one, division one of the Friends Talking Nerdy Greatest Movie Ever Championship Tournament. Now, to begin, coming to the ringside area, we are going to have our contestants come on down and give an opening statement. The first person we're going to hear from is Noel, so cue the music. Alright, smoke is filling up the audience, strobe lights have hit, we have a number of dancers heading down the, to the ringside area, dancing along to the beat of the music, and there he is coming out of the entranceway, it is Noel heading down to the ring area, oh my goodness, he's doing some uh, uh, special dance moves with some of the dancers on his way there, I cannot believe it, someone just handed him a pipe, I wonder what's inside that pipe, hmm, think back onto a previous episode of Friends Talking Nerdy, the 420 uh, celebration, I wonder what's in there, alright, Noel has just reached the ringside area, he is entered the ring and he is stepping up to the podium. Wow, start off in the air. Uh, well, so we've been talking about wrestling. And 
in, in wrestling. I, I figured I'd try to get that, try to, to see. I've been working on this a couple weeks. <clears throat> oh, oh, yeah. My two man really serves. Getting the voice deep down. He's going to Get it, get it, get it. So, let me tell you why I'm going to win. There is no competition. I'm on the first. I'm off the top rope. Doing my bionic elbow. It's the greatness of it. My film knowledge is top of none. I was in the industry. I know what it's about. And I live my life for this moment. Coming down to it. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> I love you. Okay. You guys, I wish you could have seen this. This was awesome. We, like, we watched the whole character. thing. We got FaceTime up. All right. Interesting comments from Noel. He's definitely excited and ready to slay his way through that tournament to be the first ever Friends Talking Nerdy Greatest Movie Ever Champion. Now we are ready for our next contestant. That contestant is Sterling. So here we go. Hit the music. All right. Sterling is appearing from the backstage area. And he is coming down to the ring with a stern look on his face. And what is he doing? He's doing he's doing multiple crotch chops. I don't know why he's doing that. He must have Tourette's. Okay, he's on his way to the ring area. He is about ready to enter. He is coming up to the podium. Let's hear what Sterling has to say. I saw the list beforehand. I am just ready to poke holes in arguments. I'm, like, gonna go for your mother, and I'm just gonna, like, hit you where it hurts. I'm looking at Mora. I'm not looking at her, but I'm looking at her. (laughs) I saw Galaxy Quest on that shit. That is, like, the worst thing ever, okay? Like, I'm pulling from, like, emotional, like, ties to movies. There's, There's just, like, that, like, burning fire of like connections between me and these movies. And it's it's gonna be bad. It's gonna be bad. I'm gonna try and not get too personal, but I'm gonna get personal. It's gonna be bad. He's gonna bring the thunder. (laughs) (laughs) All right, those were interesting comments from Sterling. Going straight to the mother card right away. How will that play out during this tournament? We'll see. Um, Our next contestant now is gonna be the lovely Mora. Let's hit the music. All right, Mora emerges from the backstage area, and look at this, everyone. She is coming out on a throne. She has a crown on her head, and that throne is being carried by the biggest, bulkiest, oiled-up muscle men you will ever believe. Some of them are also feeding her chocolates. She is on the way down to the ringside area. She is regally waving to all the fans. And she's okay. Look at this. She is getting off the throne. She has entered the ring. She is getting up to the podium right now. Let's hear Mora's opening statements. Okay. So first off, just a quick... 
retaliation to what Sterling just said, seeing how he said he's going after my mother. Dude, you can so have my mother. I, you know, I give her to you by all means. That's like a blessing for me. So go for it. Okay? That doesn't scare me. So that's first thing. All right. So being the only woman in this challenge and... Um, I always like to think I have great taste. The movies that I picked were classics. They still... Shush, it's my time to talk. Okay. These are classics that still stand, that they're still fun. They're amazing. You know, you can watch them over and over again. So it comes down to that, A, yes, I do have great taste. And in the immortal words of Sigourney Weaver from one of my picks in Working Girl, Sigourney, what do we say? And I am, after all, me. And that is why I have the right ones. Yeah. <laughs> Yay! Oh, man. Girl power! Girl power! That's right! Yes! I've never even heard of working girl. <laughs> Sterling, that speaks a lot about your taste. Yeah. <laughs> Just saying. It totally does. Well, slaps all over the place today. Yeah. All right. Tim, Tim, I hope you have tissues for Sterling. He's going to need it. Ooh. Ooh, shame. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't want to say I'll need tissues after I'm done with your mother, though. <laughs> oh, man. Shots fired right from the beginning. Okay, last but not least, the last competitor to head down to the ring area is going to be none other than Tim Jowsma himself. Hit the music. Alright, we are anxiously awaiting the arrival of Tim Jowsma. We have not seen... Wait a minute, wait a minute, there's a spotlight. It's in the rafters. Oh my god, he's going to zip line down to the ring. Oh my goodness, can you believe this? And look at the ladies in the crowd go nuts. With the amount of ladies undergarments that are being thrown in Tim's direction, he can open up his own Victoria's Secret. Okay, look at this, folks. He has landed on the ground. He is making his way to the ring right now. All right, he has entered. He has stepped up to the podium. Let's hear Tim Jowsma's opening statement. When I first proposed the idea for the Friends Talking Nerdy Greatest Movie Ever Championship Tournament, I knew I would have no problems coming up with my list. When you have superior taste in movies, stuff like this comes easy. But my opponents today, that's another story altogether. Take Sterling. Sterling was at home coming up with his list, and it went a little something like this. Hmm. Dude, from Justin to Kelly is legit. Hmm. Hmm, another one. Dude, Jack and Jill is legit. Sterling, to quote Buzz Lightyear, you are a sad, strange little man, and you have my pity. We move on to Mora. Mora, Mora, Mora. When she was coming up with her list, I can imagine her at home, sitting on a couch, pen and paper ready, thinking of movies. Um, whatever shall I put on my list? Is Sterling, you don't have to look around, she's not here. Okay. okay. I'm just imagining her with, like, gel pens and, like, you know. Is there a movie? Okay, it's my time. All right. Is, is there a movie? Carrie, I can add. Oh my, how about an 
obscure Museum on Horror Movie starring Kirk Cameron. Maura. Thank you for the British accent, by the way. <laughs> Maura, your list started at the bottom, and it's been downhill ever since. And finally, Noel. Poor Noel. He had the worst time of all. He was so upset that he got on his knees, put his little hands together, and said a prayer. It sounded like this. Oh, dear God. You see, my name's Noel, and I'm about to be in the Friends Talking Dirty Greatest Movie Ever Championship Tournament, but there's one problem. Everybody thinks that my list absolutely sucks. At that point, Noel's house started to shake. The heavens opened up, and God himself spoke to him and said this. Nick? But my name's Noel. It doesn't matter what your name is. You are absolutely right. Your list does suck. And then as fear went through Noel's body and tears went down his cheek, his house started to shake again. The clouds parted. The heavens opened. And what seemed like millions and millions of voices all said to him in unison, Tim Jowsman is going to win the Friends Talking Nerdy Greatest Movie Ever Championship Tournament. All right, before we begin the tournament, we want to inform you of what the judges will be scoring on. One, they're going to be judging based on opinion. Now, whether they saw the movie uh, that is being discussed or not is technically irrelevant in this case. They're going to be judging their opinion based on how well the person does their arguing. So even if you have not seen a particular picture, if one of the contestants is able to describe the benefits of this movie in the right way, then that that judge's opinion will be influenced. Two, they're going to be judging based on argument, the defense of the argument. Now, to be clear, that does not mean the successful defense for their movie. The argument could be why the their opponent's movie is not the right choice, so keep that in mind. And finally, they were also advised to judge based on entertainment factor. If someone brings a little extra pizzazz to their argument and it's enjoyable to the judge, they're going to get extra points for that. So now, with that, we are ready for the first match in round one. We have Sterling with his choice of Jaws facing off against Mora with her choice of Blazing Saddles. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Sterling. So, Jaws was one of the first movies that I saw. It was one of the first movies to actually use the camera trick that was from the perspective of the murderer, animal, whatever. It was a really great film. Um, they worked with a lot of stuff on the fly, which was really cool because they had so many breakdowns, so many issues, but not only that, they came out with a great movie that probably wasn't the original idea. They were able to kind of adjust and go. And then not only that, it's based off of a book, which was actually a really good story as well. It actually has, uh, one of my irrational fears of swimming in deep water. It's like one of the biggest reasons why that... Blazing Saddles is a great movie. It's from a different time, though. If, if you played that now, not only would you get sued, but you'd, you'd probably just never work in Hollywood ever again. Uh, love Mel Brooks. Great guy. Great film. But Jaws not only made the career of like the team working on it, it had multiple sequels after that. And it was just a great, scary awesome film that is memorable terrifying and just awesome 
All right, Sterling wraps up his arguments for Jaws, not even even using his full two minutes. Will that help him or hurt him when it's time to bring the choice to the judges? We'll find out after Mora defends her choice of Blazing Saddles. Mora is stepping up to the podium, and here we go. All right, so much to talk about Blazing Saddles, and yes, I will use that full two minutes because there's so much to talk about. This is a movie that, this is a classic. You can see this, doesn't matter... Whether you see it now, whether you saw it 10 years ago, it's still funny as all hell. You have an amazing cast, Gene Wilder, Mel Brooks, Harvey Korman, Madeline Kahn. The roles that they played were just incredible. And these are jokes that you can still get even today. Um, Real quick, just going about Jaws. Jaws is, don't get me wrong, it is a classic as well, but it is a little bit of a sleeper. Um, It's something where... You know, if you really take the whole time where they're in the water and the suspense, I think it's about a, maybe 20, 30 minutes, and the rest of the movie is just really kind of just laid back and chilled, whereas Blazing Saddles is definitely one of Mel Brooks' better films, um, along with Young Frankenstein. But if you guys ever saw Madeline Kahn doing her Lily von Stupp, um, you know, scene where she's performing on stage and even afterwards when she meets with the sheriff <laughs> and that whole scene, you know, is it true what it says about you people? It's true, it's true. I mean, that is just classic. Along with um, the sheriff, Cleveland Littles, um, his character Bart, Sheriff Bart, that one line he says where they're trying to um, infiltrate um, Hedley Lamar's, you know, group to get round up the bad guys where, you know, he he's trying to, the whole scene is basically he's trying to um, to lure people Ten seconds. away and he pulls out and says, hey, where the white woman at? So basically that's a classic scene. Classic line. There you go. Alright, it is time to bring it to the judges right now. The judges are conferring. They are talking it out right now. Oh! We have a result. All right, they are handing me the results right now. All right, the winner of the first match in Division One Round 1 for the Friends Talking Nerdy Greatest Movie Ever Championship Tournament is Mora with Blazing Saddles. Whoa, look at that. Mora bringing the trash talk. Alright, we move on to our second matchup in Round 1, Division 1. It is Tim Jowsma with his choice of Terminator 2, Judgment Day, facing off against Noel with his choice of Malcolm X. And Tim is coming up to the podium, and here we go. Who's going first? Me. <laughs> Wait, Tim. Oh, okay, cool. That would be me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Alright. Um, Alright, So when it comes to Malcolm X, Malcolm X is an important figure in history. He's someone you should admire. But what you shouldn't do is necessarily let that admiration for the man cloud your opinion of the movie, because who has really seen that movie? Terminator 2, however, one, you get a lot of folks that that have seen the movie for one. Two, when it comes to special effects for that movie, that essentially kicked the door down for for what we expect today from movies. Um, Even though uh, Jurassic Park is known for its computer animation, uh, for their computer effects for the dinosaurs, 
if it was it, that movie could not have uh, essentially been made if if uh, Terminator Two did not uh, did not was not made. And, and one other factor of the movie that I really appreciate, Linda Hamilton does not get credit for uh, the work that she's done on that movie. I mean, she made a very natural progression of the Sarah Connor character from the flighty waitress uh, initially to um, to the, the, what she ultimately became the the mercenary that almost became a bit of a machine herself. So it was great seeing her character progress. I'm, I'm actually quite excited that, that she's going to be a part of the uh, new Terminator film that uh, apparently is going to be uh, filming later this year. But uh, that film was probably one of the first big blockbusters uh, that I remember as a kid that, that had a lasting effect. I mean, the special effects, like uh, the, the, obviously it wasn't him, it was a stunt person, but the uh, when the T-100 was on the motorcycle and then jumped into the water ravine, that, that kicked ass. Um, and just Robert Patrick as well. Robert Patrick is an amazing actor. What he was able to do with the T-1000 is just amazing. The end. All right, Tim has wrapped up his arguments. Will they be convincing enough for the judges? We will find out after Noel discusses Malcolm X. Here we go. Okay. I can't disagree with Tim. Terminator 2 in terms of visual effects. Stan Winston, give it. The original sets it up. I cannot take away from that film. But in terms of Malcolm X, performances of Denzel Washington and Angela Bassett, that alone makes this film a classic. Washington was robbed. He lost the Oscar to Al Pacino. Al Pacino should have got it for The Godfather of the films before that, but neither here nor there. That performance is credible by Denzel. The transformation believing from Malcolm Little to Malcolm X to his death is awesome. Another option of the movie that's really incredible, too, Al Freeman is Elijah Muhammad. If you look up actual footage of the actual Elijah Muhammad and look for Al Freeman, it is a freaking mirror. It is crazy how real he looks like. No question about that. More important than that, the controversial issue of the film, Spike had issue making this film. Towards the end of the movie, Warner Brothers had pulled funding. He had to ask Oprah Winfrey, um, <clears throat> uh, he had to ask Will Smith, Denzel Washington, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Bill Cosby to, fi- to finish money, to, to donate money to finish doing the movie for the post-production. That itself makes me incredible. At the time of the release, people were, banned, were told not to go see the film because it was supposed to start riots and whatever. That's some BS going on. Even more important about that, it's still Spike Lee's movie best to date, second on to do the right thing. The film still stands, it's still important, in times that we are in today, this film even is much more relevant. Originally, Norman Jewison was going to do the film, him and Denzel had actually agreed to work on it together, but Spike had insisted clearly that he did the movie, and rightly so, I think it's still one of the best films that I've ever seen. I would recommend reading a book by Marvel Manning called Malcolm X. Marvel Manning basically wrote a book detailing Malcolm's life, much more detail than Alex Kelly's book, which is based on the film. Ten seconds. But that itself, Malcolm X is an American classic. All right. Noel has wrapped up with his arguments, so we bring it to the judges. We see the judges conferring once more, and it looks like they have come up with their choice. They are handing it over. And the winner of this match, heading on to round two to face off against Mora with Blazing Saddles, is Noel with Malcolm X. All right, now we are heading on to our next matchup. That's Sterling with his choice of To Kill a Mockingbird against Mora with her choice of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. So first up is Sterling. Head up to that podium. So To Kill a Mockingbird is a great introduction to 
a time where things were much, much simpler, but then way more fucking complicated. Um, you have just this wide-eyed girl under the presumption of just a story about growing up, and then you get into a complex, detailed story about injustice, racism, and uh, a, a terrible, corrupted system that was just completely biased back then. Um, and you you learn about differences. Like, I, I learned about mulatto kids back then. I, I wasn't even aware that people were judging like that. And then you have a movie that is about exploited children, candy that's not made of candy, a river of chocolate that's spoiled after the first day, and then you have an obese child getting sucked through a tube of, like, chocolate, where he actually went through that tube. The kid almost suffocated. Like, so much stuff was so wrong about this movie. They didn't tell the actors about the tunnel, that terrifying-ass tunnel in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. No one told them about that tunnel. The the uh, actors who played the Oompa Loompas were um, circus workers who almost didn't get paid. Uh, one of them died on set, I think. It was terrible. And then they were painted orange instead of black because they were going to be some racist-ass fucking clowns. I don't even know. And then... And then you have a wonderful <laughs> film about child kids learning about the like best lesson in the world and that the world is not fair. I'm good with that. I'm good with that. All right. Oh my god. Oh my god. Okay then. <laughs> Shit got real. Shit got real. Wow. All right. Um, I feel like I need to go pray. Yeah, this is what you wanted. <laughs> this is what I wanted. Oh, my God. I, I feel like someone had a disturbing childhood, but okay. Yeah, I saw Charlie and the Chocolate Factory when I was four. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. That's sad. That's how you came away with it, but all right. Let's... That was interesting. Okay. We are ready for Amora to defend Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Can she turn it around? Can she turn Sterling's kid-killing argument into a winning uh, proposal here that the judges will have no other choice but to let her advance to the next round? Let's find out. Mora is stepping up to the podium. Okay, so to start off real quick, both movies, yes, classics, they're both amazing in their own rights. Um, to Kill a Mockingbird as a kid, I had to read that as a, in school. No one enjoys it when they have to, when they're forced to read something. Really, like, on my own, I would never read it, I would never watch it. As a kid, not enjoyable. There's no music, okay? Not like I'm a big music fan, but Willy Wonka at least had something going on with it where... There was music, there were songs that even to this day is still being played out. I just recently saw Thor um, Ragnarok, and they even had the theme song in it when he was in the chair with Jeff Goldblum. I thought that was hysterical that, that they had the Willy Wonka theme song in that. So that was cool, and that's how classic it is that it's still being played out. Now, as a kid watching this... I'm sorry, Sterling, I don't know what freaky childhood you had. But as a kid just watching the credits... From the beginning, 
it was nothing but chocolate and candy and wafers and everything, just like the creation of it. And then you go into the candy store. The kids are getting out of school, and they run to the candy store, and everybody gets to eat, and they sing the song Candy Man. It was amazing. And then and just imagining the whole, like, warehouse, the Willy Wonka factory, like, as a kid, that is, like, my dream, to, like, just go in and have everything being edible. It's amazing. It's like I wanted to be there eating those big-ass gummy bears and the mushroom with the whipped cream and yeah the chocolate thing it's like the chocolate river that scene in itself and the way gene wilder played willy wonka if you guys read the book the book he willy wonka is actually a bit of an asshole but gene wilder made him so lovable like you couldn't help but love him so overall great movie great classic great music how can you not love this movie All right. You cannot get between Mora and her chocolates. Oh, so many problems. Let, let's, let's talk about the pronunciation of Ragnarok. <laughs> Ragnarok? Oh, my God. You know what? I'm, like, speeding, and I knew it. I'm, like, I'm going to mess this up. I'm, like, just say it. I just want to get it out there, because I just saw it recently. Ooh. I know it, but, like, I thought, I t- let me tell you, seriously, I was laughing my ass off when, when he was in that chair, and they were playing it. I thought that was great. That giant gummy bear was made of wax. And and you're correcting somebody, um, you're correcting Moira on getting a name wrong? Yeah, her name is Moira. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Tim. Thank okay. you, Tim. All right, that was a tough battle right there. The judges are conferring, and it looks like we got a judge that wants to go on record for their choice. So here we go. Our chief official, friend, stalking nerdy co-host, Ray. Let's hear what Ray has to say about their choice. All right, so it all falls in Ray's lap. Who do you think wins? Oh... I mean, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Who do you like better? I mean, which movie do you like better? (laughs) (laughs) Charlie and the Chocolate Factory hits close to home because Charlie was a poor kid, and being a poor kid myself, I was just like, man, this is relatable. However, To Kill a Mockingbird, like Nisha said, kind of teaches more lessons and like is a little bit deeper and then that argument man sterling holy shit (laughs) i feel i feel traumatized dude like i think imagine being those kids and not no i'm sorry i apologize but imagine being those kids and not know what the fuck is happening and go into that dark ass tunnel the parents oh, wait, didn't on, know what was going on. on. The kids wait, didn't wait, know what wait, was going wait. on. No, no, no. Because here's the thing, and this is funny. I was actually going to use this as part of my argument because there are lessons in there. Because think of all the Oompa songs. They were saying, don't watch TV, don't chew gum. You know, there were lessons in there, too. They just made it more fun. Well, so it wasn't in your face. Yeah, yeah. No, there were. There, there, there were like, if you, if, if, you, if you do the right thing, you're going to get what's coming to you, which isn't actually true in life, but it's, it's a nice <laughs> yeah. You know, you can argue that. It's, it's this, like, rainbows and unicorns behind this, like, terrible, terrible actual okay. situation. Okay. So, wait, hold on. So, wait, Tim, it, though, just, that, though. just to reiterate, yeah. Tim, just to reiterate, they're yeah. supposed to be picking not so much movie, but on our arguments, correct? Correct. Okay. All right, so what was your ultimate decision, Ray? Man, that recent 
conversation. Now I switched my choice. I'm gonna have to go with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Really? <laughs> this is what you get when you talk too much, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> Can I, can I, I wasn't going to do that. I was going to wait. Well, no, it's because, like, all those, all those rich kids, like, they probably would have never learned those lessons had they not gone to that factory. You would have learned injustice without the kill of Mockingbird. Well, I mean, justice isn't real. Okay. Facts. All right. All right, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Fat Factory advances to the next round. And that was interesting there, folks. As you heard, it sounded like Sterling had the battle won until he talked his way out of that victory. So we'll see how he handles that uh, in the upcoming rounds. But now we are on to our next matchup. That's Tim with the Nightmare on Elm Street facing off against Noel with his choice of the Godfather. And here comes Tim up to the podium. Who here has never had a nightmare? Everybody's scared of nightmares, and the fact that Wes Craven was able to create a character that, in, in Freddy Krueger, that is that inhabits your dreams can can make you uh, can can kill you in your real life in, in the dream world is just just a fascinating concept. Uh, he was originally uh, inspired by that movie from uh, the Los Angeles Times article he read about. Um, I believe it was uh, some uh, Vietnamese refugees who complained about um, being scared to go to sleep. They would go to some of the extreme efforts that uh, Wes Craven was actually uh, actually described in the movie about, you know, taking way too much coffee and even some going to the extreme of cutting off their eyelids in order to stay awake. Um, once these people went to sleep, they would wake up, scream, and then immediately die. And that inspired him to make A Nightmare on Elm Street. And you got to think, Freddy Krueger is a character that, um, even today, is still well-known. It's such an iconic character for a bad guy. Um, you know, I think of The Godfather. The Godfather is a great movie, but it's also one of those movies that people, by default, say is a good movie without necessarily having seen it themselves. Um, it's always on those list of top movies uh, of of all time and in the grand scheme of things is it really uh, you know sometimes you can appreciate uh, what a filmmaker does because the godfather definitely opened the doors for more unique types of filmmaking um, but you still do not have to necessarily like that original thing and I think there are many films that have come after the godfather that have done much more better things including I believe a couple of Noel's choices on the list but A Nightmare on Elm Street still persists after uh, 30 years now people are still scared of Freddy Krueger and I think that says something about the power of that film. Boom. All right. Tim Jalsma has wrapped up his arguments for A Nightmare on Elm Street. His opponent, Noel, is stepping up to the podium to defend The Godfather. Let's hear what he has to say. Okay. Nightmare on Elm Street is definitely a classic horror film. One of Wes Craven's best films. There's no argument from there. But The Godfather is, without a doubt, the gold standard of filmmaking. It's the top five movie of all time. This film is a filmmaker's dream, a film student's aspirations. We can start off with the fact that it was written from a book by Mario Puzo. First of all, Coppola at the time, he was well known for writing Patton. He also directed, uh, he also did some earlier films as well, but he also was part of that young scene of directors. So Tim and Spielberg and George Lucas and Ryan De Palma, these were known as the film students, kind of, kind of the first ever really 
film student directors that kind of changed Hollywood. Kyle Stone's argument about Jaws, the films at the time in the 70s, really set the tone. The fact that the film was done on the cheap, no one really believed in The Godfather. The film was a pariah on a lot. No one really wanted to talk, touch it or talk about it. The performances are Marlon Brando itself. I don't even go into detail. The fact he didn't even accept his Oscar, that itself. Al Pacino's performance going, showing Michael as a sentimental, out-of-the-business kid to one of the coldest film characters of all time. You even have performances by James Caan as Sonny, Robert Duvall as um, Tom, as Tom. We can talk about the horsehead scene. This proves how the reach of The Godfather goes. Diane Keaton is incredible in that film as well. So you have all these things that are happening that come together with this film. So even if you didn't see it, you can watch it again and again and again and get more film out of it. A cool little other trivia fact is George Lucas at one point was the assistant editor of the film. So a lot of the scenes in the movie, he helped cut. Because at that time, it was a collaborative process with all these directors. Godfather, when it came out, stand for everything. And it's pretty much one of the best films in America. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'll take that as a good sign. All right, we bring it to the judges now. The judges are conferring amongst themselves, talking excitedly about the choices at hand, and it looks like they've come up with a decision. They are passing it my way, and it looks like... No, with his choice of The Godfather is advancing to round two where that movie will face off against Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Our next matchup, we have Sterling with his choice Gladiator facing off against Mora with Trading Places. Here is Sterling at the podium. So, I don't know how many people know too much about like Roman history or anything like that, but this, this movie, The Gladiator, is actually based off of a uh, slave uprising that occurred. Um, they took a few people out of context throughout history to prove a really good point, and it was mostly about uh, the the injustice that can happen from a, a large mismanagement of wealth and how uh, the government can actually really hurt its citizens and take advantage of the people and sway them one way or another just to kind of get them focused in one area, like a gladiator's games, or you could equate it to, like, the NFL or anything like that, which takes people's minds off of a certain situation and then kind of focuses it somewhere else that doesn't really matter and it takes people away from the issues that actually matter. Uh, Some of the best cinematography that I've ever seen, um, there's a scene where uh, the lead actor main character is dying and he's slowly walking through a wheat field and that's actually like the Roman version of heaven and when he's walking through the wheat fields, touching the wheat, seeing his family that was burned alive in front of him it was probably one of the most charismatic moments in cinema that I felt like. I, I don't know. If I lost my family, I would be completely enraged to just tear through anybody who did that. Trading Places? Was it Switching Places? Trading Places. Trading Places. Great movie. It's been beaten into the ground. Um, 
other than that, it's just meh. All right, Sterling wraps up his arguments in favor of the Gladiator, uh, making way for Mora, who's heading to the podium right now to discuss trading places. Let's see how she does. Okay, so another classic, Trading Places. This is a movie you can see over and over and over again. Um, Dan Aykroyd, Eddie Murphy, what can I say? Two amazing actors, you know, they started together with... um, they start together on Saturday Night Live, and they went on to this. I found out, um, I don't know how true this is, initially the movie was supposed to be Richard Parker and Gene Wilder, which would have been amazing, but I'm actually really happy that that did happen, and it got these two actors. Um, real quick to talk about Gladiator, I saw that movie in the theater and never saw it again. It, I just didn't relate to it. It didn't. It was just depressing. There was nothing there to it that made me want to see this movie ever again. Trading places, however, this is something that you can just see over um, everything from Jamie Lee Curtis playing her role, the way they, the Dukes, you know, betted on, you know, changing people's lives all for what, a dollar, which was the way they played it out was awesome. You had um, Eddie Murphy, actually, I believe this is the movie back in the time where the fourth wall was broken down, where Eddie Murphy looked into the camera, not once, but twice. Because back in the day, that really wasn't done. It's not like Deadpool, where, you know, he just talks to the audience. This was the first time, I believe, where a character looked into the camera to be like, you got to be kidding me, really? So that was, um, they were noted for that, actually, at the time. I remember Siskel and Ebert doing talking about that on their review for the movie um for all the guys who watched this jamie lee curtis did showed her boobs so that's always a plus i know noel's happy about Ten that seconds. <laughs> um so yeah great movie all, all around as always and with a great cast and with that we bring it to the judges what will they choose trading places or gladiator and the judges are once again conferring among themselves some of them are arguing. Mm, wonder what this could mean. All right, it looks like they've come up with their decision. They're handing it over my way. All right, the winner of the match advancing to round number two is Mora with Trading Places. Okay, our next matchup. We got Tim Jalsma with his choice of Die Hard facing off against Noel with his choice of The Godfather Part 2. Will Tim find a way to lose to the Corleone family once again? Let's find out. All right, one thing you do got to bring up about The Godfather is Mario Puzo. Mario Puzo was an aspiring writer, like anybody, and he really was not getting anywhere until one day he felt that what he had to do was write a trashy pot boiler novel to make money. And he found the perfect formula. That perfect formula was a little book called The Godfather. He had no belief in that movie. He simply wanted to make money off it. He made a ton of money. And Francis Ford Coppola, essentially, in in all three Godfather movies, was able to turn chicken shit into chicken chicken salad. So uh, with that, um, Die Hard, that's that's my list on my list right here. And and that, that I'd have to say, is one of the greatest action movies of all time. Um, It was the first in the 80s that really started breaking away from the typical uh, steroid... um, um, steroid type of uh, 
of, of figures that Arnold Schwarzenegger helped bring in. Um, the story itself was inspired by a book called Nothing Lasts Forever, uh, which uh, was a sequel to a book called The Detective. That book, The Detective, was actually made into a film in 68 with Frank Sinatra. And because of that, um, when, nothing, when Nothing Lasts Forever was optioned, Frank Sinatra uh, actually contractually had to be offered the role of John McClane. Um, but he ended up declining and uh, went through a few other people until they got Bruce Willis on board. And that, was, at the time, was a major risk because Bruce Willis is only film credits for a couple of mediocre comedies. And um, he had primarily been known at the time for his role on Moonlighting, which was, again... Um, uh, more comedic and romantic comedy-ish uh, than anything else. So it was a major risk having Bruce Willis on the film. Alan Rickman as Hans Gruber, he was 47 years old, and that was his first major film. That was his breakout role. If it weren't for uh, yeah, if it weren't for Hans Gruber, we would not have Snape. All right, Tim Gelsma has wrapped up his comments on Die Hard, even throwing down the Snape hammer. Will that be effective in beating The Godfather Part 2? Let's find out. Noel is heading up to the podium. So, yeah, I have to agree. Yeah, Die Hard is definitely probably one of the greatest action movies of all time. Uh, the movie was shot at night, so Willis can shoot uh, Moonlighting in the day. The other film he did before this, which is a great film, Blind Date, worth checking out. Really funny movie, Blake Edwards film. But since uh, we're dealing with uh, great films, The Godfather 2 is one of the few sequels that stands on its own. So even if you didn't see the original Godfather, you can, the film itself does stand on its own. It has it, it tells the history of, of, how the, of, of how the film got started. Rob De Niro playing a young Vito Corleone, which I think is incredible. It's the way the film starts off, we figure out how the Godfather comes to the U.S. Lee Strasberg's performance as Hyman Roth, that in itself is incredible. But the political aspect of the movie, when the uh, mob wants to try to open a casino in Cuba, Michael has second thoughts about this. He feels uncomfortable because of the fact of the political turmoil happening in the country, so he kind of takes a step back. So Hyman kind of challenges on that. And then once, uh, you know, then we find out more about the betrayal, so I don't want to spoil the film, but I assume you have seen The Godfather Part Two. but one of the points in the scene is someone tries to kill Michael and his wife in bed, so the film figure out what's going on. And once you find out who does it, it's probably one of the greatest, uh, you know, twists of that. And we see Michael being as the coldest SOB on the planet. You know, I I, 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 find, I think it's one of the best performances that, uh, that I've seen of Mal Pacino. Johnny Ola, played by Dominic Chazy from The Sopranos, plays an incredible role, character role in this film. And it's one of the few movies out there that I can say, when you watch it again, you really see how the decisions are made. When Vito decides to become, you know, take out, you know, you know Don Fanucci and become the, uh, the top guy. Consequences. Michael's consequences are trying to be legitimate. Doesn't happen. So yet again, Godfather Part Two stands in its own classic film. Completely different from the first one. All right, and we go to the judges. What will they choose? Will they choose Die Hard or will they choose The Godfather Part Two? They're once again conferring, and it looks like they have a decision. They are handing it my way. All right, the winner of the match advancing to round number two to face off against Mora with her choice of trading places is Die Hard, Tim Jalsma's choice. All right, we are ready for our next matchup. Sterling with his choice of Pulp Fiction facing off against Mora with her choice of Better Off Dead. And Sterling has made his way to the podium. Let's hear what he has to say. There we go, Pulp Fiction. That's enough, but... I will say more. It was probably one of Quentin Tarantino's best films. He introduced likable characters who were good and bad in their own way. 
there were plot devices and performances that were completely amazing. Um, I was going to say um, that was my first introduction to GIMPs. Never, never knew what that was before that film. Uh, and, and you have to be in the mindset that I saw this when I was 13. Um, it was just so good because I was introduced to a world of drugs, sex, rock and roll, uh, swing competitions. It was, uh, what was it? What movie did you watch? What, no, no, no. It was a twist, John, contest. twist, twist. Sorry, my bad. Swing contest. Um, I'm not a big fan of John Travolta, but I loved him in this movie. And then Samuel L. Jackson had one of the best performances of all time. He had one of the best of monologues of all time. And then just killing people relentlessly was one of the best things ever. And then it made me want to get a wallet that said bad motherfucker on it. I wanted that wallet. I wanted to be Samuel L. Jackson and just yell motherfucker the whole time. It, I love that movie. It was so good. <laughs> it was so gosh darn good. And then uh, Quentin Tarantino putting himself up in his own movie, just being the salty, hungover asshole, is just hilarious. It made me want to have a big Kahuna burger. Never heard of that before in my Sounds life. Like but I, I don't even want to talk about Moira's movie because it's just doesn't even matter. It's Pulp Fiction, the end. Done. <laughs> All right, Sterling wraps up his thoughts on Pulp Fiction. It makes me wonder why um, parents who he said um, punished him for watching SmackDown on UPN in the 90s, a show that was PG and on in prime time, would allow him to watch Pulp Fiction. Um, parents today lovely millennials anyway we are on to our next contestant that's mora with her choice of better off dead mora is stepping up to the podium and ready to defend her movie all right so i know i have my work cut out to me yes pulp fiction is an amazing movie um but so is better off dead in its own right uh this movie for anybody who was in high school who survived high school knows exactly this this movie portrayed it pretty well in the sense where Here's a guy who was completely in love with a girl, and she broke his heart, and at this point, he's just trying to think of several different ways to commit suicide, um, and just trying to survive high school at the same time. They did an excellent job by with the cast. They had um, John Cusack, who was really adorable at the time, and they even got Curtis Armstrong, who you guys know as Booger from Revenge of the Nerds, who play the best friend who was hysterical because the whole movie he was either high or just trying to find a way to score in a small town. They had great lines. They had great scenes. They did this whole claymation scene where um, John Cusack's character, Lane, he gets a job at this disgusting fast food chain and they did this whole claymation with this burger playing Eddie Van Halen's guitar and doing, you know, to the song of Every Van Halen's Everybody Wants Them, which was amazing. They even had some really great lines at one point. John Cusack's trying to kill himself, and he's trying to jump off a bridge. He actually lands into a garbage truck, and, like, these two guys, these two construction workers see this, and they're like, well, that's a perfectly good shame throwing away a perfectly good white boy like that. 
I mean, they had some really great lines in this movie. Um, even they created this little character who was the newspaper boy who was trying to collect money. The whole movie, he's just like, $2, I want my $2, which I believe Noel and I did at one point when we were working together. $2. Um, it was, it's a great movie just like to cheer you up or when you're feeling down in the dumps if you ever had your heart broken. So, um, done. I can- Two minutes. All right, we bring it to the judges. Who are they going to choose? Are they going to choose Pulp Fiction, Sterling's Choice? Or are they going to choose Better Off Dead, Morris Choice? Once again, they're getting together. They're talking it out. A little bit of arguing this time. Ooh, someone's raising their voice. Oh, my goodness. Okay, looks like they've got a decision. They are handing it my way. And the winner of the match, heading on to round number two, is... Pulp Fiction, Sterling's Choice. Okay, now we head to our last match in Division 1, Round 1. That is Tim's Choice with Army of Darkness facing off against Noel with his choice. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Tim is stepping up to the podium. Here we go. All right, Army of Darkness versus Close Encounters. Close Encounters is a Steven Spielberg movie. Um, at the time it was released, it was definitely uh, met with uh, critical acclaim, but I challenge anybody today, who's really seen that movie? Has that movie really stood, stood the test of time? Uh, do, peop- is, does, do people consider that to be the greatest of the Spielberg movies? And I'd argue no. I'd argue that starting with E.T., he had a lot more critical uh, darlings afterward, and Close Encounters was a good start, but not a movie that stands up. Whereas Army of Darkness, it's a quirky little film, but it works. It's a great, uh, it's great as a sequel to The Evil Dead and The Evil Dead 2, but by no means do you have to have seen those two movies to understand anything about Army of Darkness, because the opening montage is a perfect introduction, um, all you need to know about the uh, first two films. Um, it was great seeing uh, characters like uh, M. Beth Davis, uh, who played Sheila in the movie. She uh, ended up going to, um, her next film after that was this little uh, indie film called Schindler's List uh, that was directed by Steven Spielberg. So um, there was that connection there. Um, one, one little aspect of the movie that always holds a soft spot in my heart is that the movie with the boomstick scene, they mention my hometown. That will always uh, be, be high, high in uh, my regards. <laughs> And that was also a movie that uh, did an amazing job with the stop-motion animation honoring uh, Roy Harryhausen um, with his um, movies like the Hercules movies in the 70s with the big stop-motion monsters and all that. So the big fight at the end between the Deadites, the the risen uh, skeletons and whatnot, and the townspeople at the castle uh, really kicked ass. And And Bruce Campbell is one hell of a leading man. I'll put it that way. Boom. Will Noel be able to top that? Tim wraps up his arguments defending Army of Darkness, and Noel is stepping up to the podium ready to defend Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Let's hear what he has to say. Well, Army of Darkness is, is definitely a great film, one of Sam Raimi's classics, but for me, in terms of being a Spielberg fan, I think Close Encounters is probably his best film. For me, it's probably my favorite Spielberg movie, so I'm kind of biased. It's also his first sci-fi film. Um, what's cool about Spielberg, he is a film geek, so having Francois Truffaut play one of the char- main characters in the film is incredible. I think the performance by Richard Dreyfuss in the film really drives him. He plays his character, Roy, who, who's trying to, you know, I mean, who, who's just a you know, regular parent, you know, dealing with wife issues, kids' issues, gets sucked in, 
goes out and, and experience, you know, and, and the way he experiences the aliens, I think, is probably one of the greatest scenes in the film. So when he, when he has that, that this this uh, this encounter, he has this vision of Devil's Tower. Can't get out of his head, right? So the whole film is him really trying to figure out what it is till he starts to sculpt this figure out. Um, it also helps when you have two great actresses like uh, Terry Gar, Melinda Dillon. Terry Gar plays his wife. Wants to deal with his madness in terms of this when she wants to really tell him it didn't happen, where he says it does. And uh, Melinda Dillon's performance as the mom whose son Barry gets in, gets taken away by the aliens also sets the tone. So when they meet up going to this place, it kind of makes the film together. John Williams' score is incredible. It moves the film, and the film itself is believable. So when you see the film, or, you know, it, it sets it up. And for Spielberg, that's what he does best. It really is a little subject or a idea or a fantasy or this idea of aliens done in a way that's believable. Having three people affected, well, actually four, really, affected by this, you know, having, you know, having to do with it. The fourth person is, is the scientist who really is like, you know, what, why are you here? What's going on? So when they all come together at Devil's Thank Tower... Friends. It's incredible. One of Spielberg's best films and probably one of the greatest sci-fi films out there. And with that, we bring it to the judges. What will they decide? Will they declare Army of Darkness the winner, the winner, or will they declare Close Encounters of the Third Kind the winner? They're converging together. They're talking. They're discussing it out. Oh, my God. Someone just slapped each other. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, the judges are done. They are handing me the results. And the winner of the match, heading on to round number two to face off against Sterling's choice of Pulp Fiction, is Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Noel's Choice. And with that, Division 1, round one is complete. We thank you all for listening. Tune in again next week for round one, Division 2 action. We are going to have Sterling with his choice, The Princess Bride, facing off against Noel with his choice, Bullet. We have Tim with his choice of Goldfinger, facing off against Mora with her choice of Shrek. We have Sterling with his choice of Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels, facing off against Noel with his choice of The Empire Strikes Back. We have Tim with his choice of The Wizard of Oz, facing off against Mora with her choice of Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. We have Sterling with his choice of Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, facing off against Noel with his choice of The French Connection. We have Tim with his choice of Kill Bill Volume 1 facing off against Mora with her choice of The Matrix. We have Sterling with his choice of Leon the Professional facing off against Noel with his choice of Blade Runner. And finally, we have Tim with his choice of Captain America the Winter Soldier facing off against Mora with her choice of Dead Alive. Remember to subscribe to Friends Talking Nerdy on iTunes, the Google Play Music Store, as well as Spotify. Please support us on Patreon. We want to make the best possible shows that we can, and sites like Patreon can definitely help make shows like ours that much better. Um, for our entire back catalog of shows and also future news, head to friendstalkingnerdy.com. You can find Friends Talking Nerdy on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter at FTNerdy. With that, we will see you all next week. Hey, good, you're still here. Uh, a couple more other things that uh, I forgot to mention um, before we wrap things up. Uh, starting today, 
Take a shot of of yourself wearing your favorite nerdy item, t-shirt, pin, hat, whatever. Um, Take that picture and post it up on social media and put on the hashtag nerdwearwed. Nerdwear Wednesday. Every Wednesday uh, from now going forward, um, we're going to definitely encourage uh, you to post your pictures. And we will determine who uh, has that best picture. And on FriendsTalkingNerdy.com, you will be inducted into the Nerdwear Wednesday Hall of Fame. Second, um, we definitely encourage you all to support a friend of the show. Head to Society6.com slash Shelby Navone. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, and I'm sorry if I'm not, but I'm going to spell it out right uh, right now for you. S-H-E-L-B-Y-N-A-V-O-N-E. She is a kick-ass artist and has some uh, products available for sale here that I uh, definitely recommend. We're talking stuff like an iPhone case, a laptop sleeve, an art print. She's one hell of an artist. Strongly recommend you all supporting uh, her art. So thank you very much, and we will see you all next week.